Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. I want to pitch a movie to you. It's going to have the standard Hollywood three-act structure. Here's Act 1. Act 1, you have a country. It's minding its own business. It suddenly gets invaded by a neighboring expansionistic power. A resistance is mobilized. Act 2. In Act 2, there are battles on sea, on land, and our main character is an admiral who is leading his home country's forces against these invaders. And things are going mostly well for him, except there is an internal plot. There are politics, there's scheming, there's cloak and dagger that ends up stripping our main character, our hero, an admiral, of his rank. He's bumped down to a private, he's put in a dungeon, and his rival suddenly is in charge of his country's military forces. That does not go well. His rival is soundly defeated, and suddenly what had been an organized and coherent resistance is shattered. Act 3. Act 3, our main character, our hero, he's out of prison, his rank is restored, but his forces are very much reduced. And it's him with a small group of soldiers, of marines, of ships, against an amazingly large invading force. Everything looks doomed. But in that final climactic 20-30 minutes of the movie, our hero, the main character, is able to actually get a victory against all odds, make it work, and repel the invaders. And the movie I just described to you probably sounds extremely hackneyed. It probably sounds like something that, you know, if you were to watch it, you'd probably go, no, no, it didn't actually turn out that way. Uh, and you'd be right. I'm oversimplifying this a lot. But that narrative basically did happen. That is a pretty good, I think, description of the Imjin War, which happened in the late 1500s between Japan under Toyotomi Hideyoshi and Korea under the Joseon dynasty. And the man whom I described, getting stripped of his rank, conspired against, bumped down to private, raised back up to admiral, and then eventually repelling the invaders, was probably one of the greatest Korean heroes ever. Admiral Yi Sun Shin, and his big victory, a naval battle called the Battle of Myongyang, is probably one of the most dramatic, come-from-behind, underdog stories in all of history. But first, some background. In 1592, Japan, led by Toyotomi Hideyoshi, invaded Korea. They were motivated by going to Korea, going to mainland China, and gathering, and by gathering, I mean killing people and taking their stuff, um, foreign technology and resources. I do not have time to go into every battle and detail of this Japanese invasion, if I were to do that, this would be a long, long show indeed. What you need to know is that it involved guerrilla warfare, land warfare, and what I want to talk about today, naval warfare. So just keep that in mind. I'm just going to be talking about one significant sea battle in this episode, but that takes place against a background and in the context of a much larger and more complicated conflict. The Imjin War was not wholly won or lost on the seas, but if you were shooting a movie, like the one I just pitched, that's where the most dramatic scenes 
would probably happen. And in this Japanese-Korean conflict, the Japanese sea tactics and the Korean sea tactics were sort of lopsided. So the Japanese, they showed up with about 1,700 boats, and when they show up with these boats, what they want to do is land infantry on Korea. Also, if they want to engage other vessels, they're not going to use tactics that are at all reminiscent of how modern navies fight. No, instead, the Japanese are invading Korea, and when they are in ship-to-ship conflict, they're going to use a tactic that would have been very familiar to the ancient Romans or the ancient Persians. Their preference wasn't for maneuvering ships and using cannons or arrows or arquebuses or any kind of distance weapon. What they wanted to do was to fight land battles on the decks of ships. They wanted to come up next to another ship, grapple it, board it, and slaughter the crew in close quarters. The Koreans had a very, very different way of dealing with these Japanese ships that were invading them. Again, these 1,700 or so uh, Japanese warships that are coming this way. Their admiral was a guy called Admiral Yi. He had no formal military training. He rose up the ranks, and his tactics for dealing with the Japanese ships was to deny them the kind of battle that they wanted. So this Korean admiral, He knows that the Japanese have a very particular way in which they want to neutralize the Korean naval defenses. He doesn't want to let them do that. Instead of letting them fight a land battle on the decks of ships, Admiral Yi wants to make sure that they fight at a distance. He knew that the Japanese infantry was very well trained, they were very well equipped, and if these naval battles turned into skirmishes on the decks of ships his men would not have the advantage. In fact, they would probably be doomed, given the skill and the equipment of Japanese infantry. So he did everything he could to keep his forces away from direct hand-to-hand combat with the Japanese. Instead, he kept his ships at a distance and used tactics that are more reminiscent of a modern navy. And That really is where Yi and the Koreans were able to dominate the Japanese and eventually win this conflict. The Japanese ships at the time, they were these troop carriers. They had V-shaped undersides. That allowed them to be very, very fast so they could sidle on up to another ship. They didn't care about maneuverability, necessarily, or the ability to carry cannon. The Korean ships, they were very different. They were flat-bottomed, which meant that they weren't as fast, but they were more maneuverable, and they were filled with cannons. The Koreans, they used their ships in a way closer to what a modern person would think of when they think of naval conflict. They were not concerned about grappling with another ship and boarding it. No, what they wanted to do was to blast the other ships with their guns and tear them apart. Most of the Korean ships, again, under this man, our hero protagonist, Admiral Yi, they had about 20 to 26 guns on them. The Japanese boats, on the other hand, had guns kind of as an afterthought. They had about two to four guns per vessel. And another important innovation in this conflict between the invading Japanese and the defending Koreans is that the Korean fleet had a vessel called a turtle ship. 
which sounds adorable, but was in fact a very, very important innovation. That ship worked directly counter to the Japanese boarding tactics. So again, the Japanese are banking on the ship that they're boarding having a flat, walkable deck that they can just hop onto. The turtle ships, however, didn't have flat, walkable decks. Instead, the deck was enclosed. Turtle ships had hard, curved, wooden tops, like a turtle shell, hence the name. And they were covered with these sharp metal spikes. So if you were a Japanese boarding party, suddenly, instead of a flat surface, you had to contend with a curved surface. And also, it was covered with spikes. It was not meant to be walked on. It was meant to protect the men inside. And also, the turtle ships had the added benefit of protecting the men inside from Japanese arrows and projectiles. And, one last little flourish, they had metal dragon heads on the front, which is just kind of cool. Every piece of artillery or naval hardware is probably always improved by having a dragon head on the front. So, the Koreans. Under this man, Admiral Yi, they have several victories. And Yi's greatest victory is against the Japanese in a strait called Myongyang. And it would, again, take far too long to get into the intricacies and details that led up to this point. But because of politics within the Korean military, Yi was stripped of his rank and briefly imprisoned. Here's what happened. There was a rival officer named Won Gyun who resented Yi's success in the field. Again, Yi had never actually had a defeat. And also resented the fact that this guy is this autodidact. He is a self-taught guy with no formal military training who is leading the Koreans to victory after victory with his new innovative turtle ships. Won Gyun was more of a traditional officer, and he wanted to undermine this guy and take his job. And because of his connections within Korean politics, he was able to do exactly that. Won Gyun was able to get his rival, Admiral Yi, stripped of his rank, put in prison, and eventually tortured. Won Gyun, he suddenly was in charge of the Korean fleet. Suddenly, repelling all of these invaders was his job. And Won, when he finally got the commission, the authority that he had schemed for and politicked for, it did not go well. Won led the Korean fleet into an attack on the Japanese fleet, and it was utterly, utterly disastrous. The Korean fleet had their first major failure, and the vast majority of those ships that Admiral Yi had been leading to victory were destroyed under the command of Won Gyung. Also, Won Gyun, he himself was killed in the assault on the Japanese fleet. So he botched a job as much as he possibly could have. After Wan's defeat, Yi was taken out of a dungeon and put in charge of the remnants of the Korean fleet. And I do mean remnants. He had, when he took over command again, 13 ships left. There were over 300 Japanese ships to still contend with. If this was some kind of action movie, and again, I think this whole conflict does resemble an action movie. This would be the part at the end of Act 2, at the start of Act 3, where 
everything looks doomed for the protagonist. He'd reached his lowest point when he was stripped of his rank and put in prison. He gets out. He's ready to face the bad guys, the antagonists, the invaders. But he doesn't really have much to work with. So he has to look around, say, here we go, pull himself up by his bootstraps, and get ready for a seemingly doomed fight. Yi had a plan. Yi led the Japanese into a trap. He was able to choose the venue for the next battle, which he rightly supposed would be a big one. What he did was, he sent a single ship within sight of the Japanese fleet deliberately, with the idea that the Japanese would think that this was a scouting ship that had unwittingly allowed itself to be sighted by them. The idea was that the Japanese would follow this single quote-unquote scout ship back to the main fleet, hopefully, where they could possibly destroy it. But really, this thing, it was bait. And this worked. The Japanese, they took the bait, and they began pursuing the scout ship. Again, not really a scout ship. And that single ship led the Japanese fleet into a choke point. The Strait of Myongyang, a very, very narrow strait, which today is bounded by a single reasonably sized suspension bridge. Yi was there with his 13 ships, and they were ready to take advantage of the terrain and the weather. Uh, the current would be a major factor in determining the battle. Yi made sure that the Japanese would have to work against the current as they made their way into the strait to deal with the Korean fleet. And again, the Korean ships are highly maneuverable. They have flat bottoms, and Yi's ships were able to move quickly to position themselves in such a way that they could optimally destroy the Japanese ships with their guns. And they could deny the Japanese the kind of land battle on the deck of a ship that they really wanted. When the battle starts, the scout ship is coming back. Yi's small fleet of 13 is right there in the strait. The Japanese are heading right for them, against the current. Yi puts his own ship in the vanguard, so he is right there in front. And he reported in his diary that the men he was with on his flagship were utterly terrified. That the other men who are with him, they see these 150-some warships and 200 or so support vessels, and they are quaking with fear. The 13 boats that the Koreans had must have seemed insignificant and paltry by comparison. And apparently, by the way, when the Japanese fleet was bearing down upon the Koreans, some of the Koreans, eight of them, did actually jump from their boats into the strait out of despair, that in favor of being destroyed by the invading Japanese. Also, one officer attempted to flee, but for the most part, the small Korean fleet of just 13 ships held the strait, and with the crucial advantages of geography, they're at this narrow choke point, and the current is working in their favor, and technology, again, they have lots of guns, the Japanese don't, they were able to successfully contend with the much, much, much larger force of 150 warships and 200 or so support vessels. Um, I'm going to read from some of Admiral Yi's diary about how he saw the battle going. Quote, 
The cannonballs burst on the enemy vessel like a hailstorm, and the fire arrows flying from the bows of men standing on the flagship fell like rain. Before this attack, the enemy only milled around and did not dash against us. Being surrounded two and three deep by the enemy vessels, however, the officers and men on our ship looked at each other with fear. At this time I reassured them, once again, in a quiet voice, The enemy vessels are many, but they cannot come to attack us. Have no fear, but shoot at them with all your might. Together with the rain of arrows, they destroyed thirty-one enemy vessels in this single battle. The enemy scattered and fled to return no more. Unquote. And like the Admiral said, 31 Japanese vessels were destroyed in that battle. Not a single Korean ship was lost, and the invading forces managed to kill only two Korean troops. They injured three more, and there were also the eight guys who jumped off to Korean vessels in despair and drowned before the battle. But all told, that is an extraordinarily small amount of casualties, given the lopsidedness of the Battle of Myongyang. And it remains one of the most dramatic come-from-behind underdog victories of all time. The Imjin War did not end with the Battle of Myongyang, but it was a major turning point. After that, uh, the Chinese were impressed by that Korean show of strength, and Ming China started coming to the aid of Joseon Korea. The final battle of the war was the Battle of Noryang, where a fleet of 150 Korean and Chinese ships defeated the remaining Japanese fleet, which numbered about 500 vessels. The Japanese eventually retreated, returned to Japan, and sued for peace. Uh, during that last battle, Admiral Yi, he did take a bullet to the chest. There is a legend about his death, which I don't exactly believe, but, again, if this were an action movie, it would be a pretty good climactic scene. Legend has it that his last words, with a bullet in his chest, were, the battle is at its height. Do not announce my death. He did not want the death of the admiral to reflect the morale of his men in any way. And again, I don't think that actually happened, but it does make this a much, much better story. An obvious point of comparison for Admiral Yi and his Korean fleet at the Battle of Myongyang is King Leonidas, the king of Sparta, who perished at Thermopylae with 300 of his fellow Spartans, while fighting off the Persians. And they're very similar circumstances. It's a small force. They're against a very large force. They're at a choke point. I think Yi is way cooler than Leonidas for the following reasons. One, we know that Yi was a real person. Leonidas very well might have been mythical. Two, Leonidas actually had quite a few allies at Thermopylae. There were a lot of other Greeks with the Spartans as well. It wasn't just 300 guys against an entire Persian army. It was one army against another army. Three. Sparta was terrible. Sparta was a horrible militarized society that completely dehumanized the people who lived there, and they had slaves. Korea. Korea's awesome. They invented their own alphabet. It's called Hangul. That's a different podcast, though. Hangul is really amazing. Four. And this is really important. Admiral Yi won. Leonidas is a guy who is held up as a symbol of glory and bravery and masculinity and all that. He lost. Uh, he and his guys go down when they're pitted against Xerxes. They all get massacred. Admiral Yi, he was able to actually manage a military operation 
that successfully repelled the invaders, and he lost basically no one. He lost two guys to enemy action, eight guys because they freaked out and killed themselves, and three more guys were injured. That is a much, much better track record for a military leader to actually have. Yi completely cleans Leonidas' clock. So, Admiral Yi, he's not really known in the West very much, but he is revered as a hero in both Koreas, North and South. I'd be curious to see what North Korea thinks of him. Um, doubtless they use him in some kind of weird propaganda fashion. Um, and he has been the subject of all matter of media and pop culture items in both Koreas, like movies and TV shows, kind of like how Abraham Lincoln is in the U.S., and I think, you know, rightly so. Uh, Korea, sadly, it would eventually become a Japanese colony, but that was not for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. In the late 1500s, Korea stood up against the invading Japanese force and not only repelled them, but also repelled them in a fashion that makes truth and actual history far more dramatic and in some ways far more unbelievable than any Hollywood action movie out there. All right, a few items. Uh, one, in last episode, I mistakenly referred to Victoria Woodhull on first mention as Virginia Woodhull. Sorry about that. Her name was not Virginia. I apologize for any confusion that might have caused. I regret the error. Another thing I wanted to do was thank a Patreon subscriber. Thank you very much to Tara Goddard for your support. This is an ad-free podcast. We're entirely supported by our Patreon supporters. So if you want to do that, go to interestingtimespodcast.com. Click on Support Interesting Times on Patreon. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Joe Streckert, joestreckert.tumblr.com. We are on Facebook, facebook.com slash interestingtimes with Joe Streckert. Click the Like button. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, all that. Go to iTunes, give us a review, give us a rating that helps other people discover the show. Thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.